Hello, you're listening to Radio SGN. I am one of your humble hosts, A.V. Eichenbaum, pronouns they, them. And I'm doing just fine before anyone asks. No further prying necessary into my personal life. And I'm joined today with Hannah and Lindsay. Hey. Hannah. Oh, yeah? How are you? <laughs> I'm fine. Thanks for asking. Lindsay, same question. I'm doing great um it's been quite a week as it always is here at the sgn it's a beautiful foggy fall day it's the spooky season are you guys halloween people or have you already picked out your halloween costume oh my gosh yes yeah yeah i've i have a list actually that i'm trying to narrow down um but thinking about doing like a scooby-doo theme and making peter scooby and then i'll be shaggy oliver will be a monster very cool very cool uh, Hannah, how about you? No, nothing nothing planned yet so far. Um, I've been thinking about like dog-friendly activities to do with my puppy, though. Um, just waiting till it gets a little bit closer. If you have any ideas on costumes, though, I am open to suggestions. If you're looking for pet Halloween costumes, we are featuring Oliver in several different Halloween costumes on the Instagram right now. He just debuted his bat outfit that he absolutely hated and it was hard to get a single picture of him but there's some good inspo there if you want to keep watching and that's the sgn book club instagram yes sgn underscore books very cool um i think i might go as a sexy hot sauce packet from taco bell i found a really great they made it into a dress it like comes up to my like mid thigh um i don't have any leggings so i might just have to shave my legs you know, I think you can get fishnets at Goodwill. They're pretty cheap. Yeah, but I'd still have to shave my legs. I'm a very hairy person. It, I'd say it's embarrassing, but nothing about a body is embarrassing. Love yourself. Guys, let's talk shop. Let's talk a little bit about our stories. we got a lot of good ones this week. Uh, anything you guys want to cover? Uh, yeah, I think the Texas attacking trans rights story by Mike Andrew is really an, an important one that everybody should be talking about and, you know, reading sources on. Um, Texas is back again for being problematic. You know, first they were coming for reproductive rights, now they're coming for trans rights. And God, is there anything good about that state? I'm sorry if any of our listeners are listening from Texas, but like, I'm more sorry if you're listening from Texas, like get out of there, please. Yeah, Texas is a big place. It could be five states, you know. Honestly, it's so varied and different in certain aspects, and I feel like a lot of people that live there aren't being properly represented. Governor Ted Cruz is a nightmare of a human being. Yeah, speaking of Halloween monsters, he is a literal werewolf. If you've seen (laughs) pictures of his beard. You don't give lycanthropy a bad name, okay? It's a condition that a lot of people have to live with. Every Halloween season, you know, you just see werewolves out and about, and it's it's not their fault that they were cursed by some sort of caravan or, you know, bitten by some sort of half-man, half-wolf beast. Or, you know, skinwalkers. Don't say their names. Skinwalkers are, it's a whole thing because it's like you become a warlock, you take like the skin of a wolf and you turn into that wolf. Actually, okay, joking aside, that was all jokes, friends at home. Like there is actually a medical lycanthropy where people think they're werewolves and it's been documented throughout the ages. I think the earliest one is like Germany in the 1600s, maybe the 1400s. But it was this guy that was like going out and killing sheep and kids and he 
was like, hey, it's because I'm a werewolf, you guys. And medically, they were like, okay, he's got lycanthropy, which is full moon madness where you think you're a werewolf. So did you just give us like a brief history of like furries and that kind of? The furry community is a big supporter and there's a lot of crossover of the LGBTQ plus community. Um, so I'm not gonna say that that's what I just did. There are a lot of furries in Capitol Hill. Just wanted to put that out there. Yeah, a lot of furries, a lot of puppy play. I don't know if it's a dom thing. Um, the leather is something that I've never really gotten into, but you know, I'm not gonna yuck a yum. You know, whatever you're into, you're into. We're a very sex positive, you know, openly, uh, kink positive newspaper. You can't really have uh, the community that we have and be an asshole about what other people are into. Except for pedophiles. Fuck them. And the Zodiac Killer. And the Zodiac Killer also. So back to the story at hand. Uh, Hannah, do you have any thoughts on this uh, Texas anti-trans rights? Yeah, I mean, other than it's horrible, it, it really doesn't come as a shock to me. I mean, as Lindsay said, it's most frequently Texas going after people's rights, whether it's abortion or transgender rights, and it's, stop, people in Texas, stop. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I'm sorry my brain is not here today. I'm exhausted to everyone who is listening, so. Don't be hard on yourself. Your brain is here way more often than any Texas governor's ever is, so. So the story's headline, guys, is Texas attacks trans rights. Texas sues Biden administration to block trans rights. And if you're looking to get angry today, um, go ahead and read that. It's on our website, sgn.org, which looks fantastic. We just got the new website up a couple weeks ago. Um, Another Mike Andrew piece this week also uh, involves Texas. The Texas Solicitor General, Jonathan Mitchell, urged the U.S. Supreme Court to overturn landmark Roe v. Wade, which reproductive rights, and he also urges them to uh, use that opportunity to overturn any sort of LGBTQ plus rights decisions. Um, People are pretty mad at Texas here in Seattle right now, uh, let's list a good thing about Texas. Austin. Uh, barbecue. And, uh, Tex-Mex tacos. Can't live without it. Uh, those are the three good things I know about Texas. You know, what they always say is the road to Texas is paved with armadillos. Those poor guys. Poor armadillos. Well, they spread leprosy, so... Are they completely innocent? Let's move on. Let's talk a little bit about our local news. What do we got? We got, uh, Lindsay, you wrote a great piece about uh, the Washington hospitals having to take over overflow from Idaho uh, due to COVID. Yeah, that piece uh, was kind of, it was a difficult one to write because I'm from Spokane and, you know, I'm hearing firsthand from, you know, close friends and family, um, the effects I had a really close friend actually uh, die from it recently, so that it was a hard kind of couple of weeks to to deal with the news. And yeah, it's it's Idaho patients are coming in and they're filling up all the hospitals in Spokane to the point where 
um, any other kind of procedure, brain tumors, orthopedic surgeries are being put basically on hold. Um, and that's for the foreseeable future until Spokane hospitals reach capacity and can no longer take transfers. That is heartbreaking. I'm sorry for your loss, first off. Uh, Hannah, sorry. I was going to ask, are these all unvaccinated patients that are filling up hospitals? And also what happens once the hospitals in Spokane are at capacity? Yeah, that's um, that second one is something I've kind of been wondering about myself. And I've been getting different answers from different people, but mostly kind of the consensus is, is like when these hospitals reach capacity, they'll have to start sending people to like, you know, the West Side Seattle hospitals, which they already, you know, from Spokane, they they will transfer critical patients there sometimes. Um, but it could start affecting this side of the state, you know, within the next couple of months if Idaho doesn't get their shit together. And yeah, the the rate of like vaccinated versus unvaccinated people in the hospital in eastern Washington is really interesting because they're seeing kind of an increase of vaccinated people coming in. And it's unknown whether that's because these are people that maybe got like Johnson and Johnson or, you know, Pfizer that's now 72% effective. Um, or if this is just because of the rampant exposure that, you know, if you've got a 92% effective rate in your vaccine, eventually, if you're just constantly around people that are exposing you to COVID, you're going to, you're going to get it. Uh, listeners at home, uh, if you have any more questions about the, the efficacy of the vaccine or why it's important, um, our first four episodes were partially funded by the Department of Health here in Washington, and we have experts discussing the matters uh, even way back then, you know, a full year into the pandemic, but uh, it really opened my eyes to a lot of things, including the fact that I'm probably going to have to get a booster shot. Uh, I'm definitely going to have to get a booster shot now for uh, I got the J&J, and it's just not going to cut it. You know, wear your mask, wash your hands. It's it's basic shit. But at the same time, getting getting that vaccine has proven, as Hannah has reported several times, that reinfection is a lot less deadly and a lot less likely. Um, it's a serious matter, and I think at this point we've many of us have lost family members uh, or friends to this illness, and it breaks my heart to see people say, oh, it's it's really not as bad as other pandemics have been in the past. Like, what? And? People are still dying. Yeah, what gets me the most is just the ignorance. We, over a year and a half now, and it's just... It is heartbreaking. It is. And... I remember before I got my vaccine, as a immunocompromised individual, I would not go anywhere. Like, unless my blood sugars were in range, I would not leave the house, because high blood sugars put me at risk. And it's just like, there's so there's still a huge population of people who can't get the vaccine. Right now, those are kids and some other immunocompromised people. and. Old people, even though they're fully vaccinated, they can still have breakthrough COVID cases, and it's, I just wish everyone would be a little less selfish during this time. I understand concerns, I do, but this far into it, it's, I'm getting a little less patient. <laughs>
My regular tattoo artist posted something about how he didn't trust the mRNA vaccine to Instagram. He like went on this whole rant, and I was, and then he was like, "Okay, anyway, if you want to schedule an appointment," and I was like, "Buddy, deletes number." Great. <laughs> yeah, basically, you know, I was, it's like, "Buddy, you're great. Your art is wonderful." I'm not gonna call him out here because I don't want him to get shit, but it's like. If you want to learn what the mRNA vaccine actually is, you can listen to the first four episodes of our podcast. Uh, just a shameless plug, but it really is good information to know if you haven't gone back and listened to those, if you haven't been listening from the beginning. Uh, with that, I think it's time for everybody's favorite part of the episode, the horoscopes. Seattle, yay, horoscope. Yep, so that's all the news you could use from the stars this week. Um, Lars Moriandi, thank you again. Uh, please, please, please drink some water and get some sleep, you weird, weird man. So we're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, I had a wonderful conversation with Jeannie Rack, who's a local musician. Um... She's just stellar. I know I say this about like literally all of the people we've had on the show. Delightful. Delightful. Delightful is, is, a, is a common there, one. <laughs> it's, but it's so true. But it is. Like we've just had such a great run of interviews. Um, just fantastic. So stick around for that. And then afterwards we're going to have a little bit of discussion about uh, Carmilla. And uh, Lindsay did this great sort of book club thing. All that and more. After the break, stay tuned. 
Radio SGN is brought to you by All Together Now. Seattle Pride's fall celebration is this Saturday, October 9th, from 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. at Seattle's Volunteer Park. Enjoy food trucks, alcohol garden, drag queen bingo, live performances from Chong the Nomad, Carla Rons, Cassandra Lewis, Beauty Boys, and more. To make the free event more accessible to the larger community, ASL interpreters will be utilized for the stage performances. All attendees will be required to wear face masks and show proof of vaccination. Learn more at seattlepride.org. Joining me today, uh, we have a woman who originally from Bangkok, Thailand, with moved to Canada, got a master's degree in education. You may know her as a busker in Pike Place Market, or you may know her from her debut single, Heartbroken. Hailed as Seattle's latest rising star by SGN's own Lindsay Anderson in, in the piece that came out during our Pride Fest issue. Please welcome Jeannie Rack. Jeannie, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me. Rising star. Thanks, Lindsay. Yeah, no, she was gushing about you. Oh my uh, God. Not, a, not a single bad word to say. How are you? I am doing pretty good. Um, my voice is a little tired because I played a um, couple of days in a row, back to back, three hour sets, which is a little tough on the vocal cords. But I got off of my coffee job a little early. So now I'm here. I just worked out, feeling good. Awesome. So you have also played at uh, Lowdown recently, right? Mm-hmm. What is the transition from working in education and working sort of the other jobs you have to going and performing uh, or in the market or performing on stage? Like, what's that like? How did you come up to that decision, I guess, is really my question. Okay, yeah. So on the decision side of things, um, you know, I tried elementary school teaching for a couple of years and I ended up having a really rough second year. Uh, pretty much everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. Mm. And it was just this amalgamation of really terrible variables, massive class sizes, the administration was brand new, um, just like a, you know, a, a large caseload of behaviors that I wasn't supported through dealing with. None of this is the kid's fault, but, you know, just for a new teacher, I jumped into one of the hardest schools that you can jump into kind of thing and burnt out real fast. And then also because I'm not American, my, uh, my work visa was coming to an end and I wasn't even sure if I was going to be able to start the next school year and work, you know, with a work mm -hmm. visa. So I was like, well, this sounds like the perfect time for me to quit teaching and go and try this whole other thing. <laughs> sure. um, so yeah, a couple, two very different reasons that um, something happened where I wasn't paid for a little while while I was teaching. And so to make ends meet, I would go and busk in Pike Place Market after teaching all day um, to make a buck and support myself. And then I was like, what if I just leaned into that full time? So yeah, did that. And then that was the decision part of things. And then once I started doing busking full-time, I was like, why not just do music generally as a career full-time, which, uh, so when the pandemic hit, I pumped things out online with my producer. And then that led very naturally into like, well, now I have an online music portfolio and venues will want to hire me. Yeah. And so that's how I was like, okay, go check me out. I, I'm legit now. I promise. I'm not just some Instagram face, you know? Yeah. Uh, so the transition between recording and uh, actually performing at venues like the Lowdown Ballroom was pretty simple. You said on your website that music is kind of your first love. How long have you been playing? 
I, so I sing and I play the guitar, but I was definitely a vocalist first. And I'm still mm. sort of a vocalist first and foremost. Um, and you have I'm a beautiful voice. Exactly. Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I 100% credit my mom because uh, I grew up going to school uh, with her. So she worked in administration at the schools that I attended. And so we would drive to and from school. And, you know, like, what are you going to do during, the, during those car rides? Turn on some music and have your kid just sort of occupy herself. Right. So I grew up singing with my mom and she has a beautiful voice. And when I was 15 and I finally picked up the guitar, she was the person who taught me my first four chords. And oh, wow. Uh, so, yeah, just sort of been singing ever since then. Uh, and your influences are sort of like mid 2000s pop. What's your, what's your deal there? It's like, for sure. You got that like clean vocal, like everything in your, in your recordings is like super crisp, you know, and it's Thank got that, you. like, it has that feel. It's got, it's sort of nostalgic for me, you know, like my mom yeah. loved listening to that sort of stuff when she was doing the dishes and uh, yeah. hanging out in the car. So, yeah, no, I have like a weird sort of medley of musical influences. My mom loved Elvis Presley. I'm pretty sure that was the first CD I knew like front to back. It's like his greatest hits. Uh, and then she also listened to a lot of Bill Withers. So it was a lot of sort of like bluesy, rockish, pop-ish, R&B-ish from the get-go. Mm -hmm. And then of course, like Neo, uh, the band Blue, you know, the boy band Blue was a I huge... I don't know. I'm sorry. It's, a, it's okay. I'm sure they were huge. I'm just, I lived under a rock for a while. So it's oh, okay. don't worry about it. Craig David was really huge <clears> for <throat> me too. And then I transitioned into Loving Bird 5. Still oh. my biggest love was the first album. Um, <laughs> and then later on, Sarah Bareilles became really huge. She had a couple of really big hits, but then I fell in love with her entire discography. And she probably is the number one biggest influence on how I write my music. Oh, wow. How do you write your music? Just, you know, I do a little bit of stuff. I've got, personally, I don't want to get it too much into it. I've got my own sort of stuff on Spotify. It's nobody listens to it and that's okay. But you like, know, I will after this. <laughs> the Weeping Dreams, find them on Spotify and Bandcamp. But, um, <laughs> but, you know, I love hearing about people's processes, you know, whether they're yeah. a painter or they're a writer or they're a musician. Right. Everyone's brain is so different. What do you do? How do you write songs like um, Heartbroken? You know, what, what comes to mind when you think this is my process? I think that all of the musical influences that I listed before, I think I really connect with them because those people are all really great storytellers. Like my favorite Bill Withers song is called Grandma's Hands. And it's just about his grandmother and each verse tells you a little different snippet. Elvis Presley, you know, whatever songs he did or didn't write himself, also a fantastic storyteller and Sarah Bareilles, incredible. So everything kind of had this picture, journey, metaphor kind of in my head, you know? I connected with the, with the melodies too, but it was more how they created this vibe, this feeling, this general cloud of like, oh, I get what that song is about. And so when I write music, it comes from an emotion first and foremost. It's like, what am I feeling right now? And sort of what image does that conjure up? And then what words sort of match and kind of snatch out of the ether what I'm feeling. I, I definitely write the musicals side of it later. I know that's less common or so I'm told. Because mm. um, I usually write down basically a poem first and then I'll attach uh, lyric, or sorry, chords and melodies to it. Cool. That's, yeah. that's a really interesting way to do it, you know. Yeah. So what's next for you? Do you think you're going to... I mean, obviously, you're going to keep performing. You're mm -hmm. going to keep doing your thing. 
Are you got any upcoming shows? Anything we should look forward to? Yeah, it, it's funny that you asked me earlier about my transition between sort of careers uh, because I went from public school educator to busker, which is completely different than actually pursuing a career in music. Mm -hmm. You know, buskers are buskers and then like musicians are musicians. Um, there's very little overlap between the two as far as as far as Pike Place Market is concerned. I'm not sure about elsewhere, but you know, like when I was a busker, I didn't need to be a recording artist. I went out into the public. People didn't need to know me. The anonymity was almost working in my favor. Right. Um, so I um, had to really work at being like, oh, I'm like a person that the world might keep track of now. It's not just anonymity. It's uh, what, what songs do I have lined up and what places, what venues are, what other musicians am I playing with and all this stuff. Um, so I'm working on dropping a few more songs online for sure. And I'm going to keep performing at various venues around Seattle for as much as I can. But the ultimate goal one day is to get together a group of musicians and, you know, play together as a band and oh, for sure. uh, promote some kind of EP. My producer and I just talked yesterday about potentially putting out an EP in the spring. Um, we've already finished the first song that we're going to put on that EP if it happens. Pretty sure it's going to happen. That's exciting. Um, so then I'll have, you know, like a group of four songs I'm thinking on this EP. And then I want to rehearse with a band and, do some shows. Um, I've had a couple of people reach out to me too to do some videos, which is really exciting. There's a there's a dude down in Mount Baker who wants to do some tiny desk concert style, you know, videos that For I'll sure. put on YouTube and that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, all all really interesting. Yeah, little projects. That's awesome. Sounds like you got a lot of uh, a lot of stuff cooking. You know, a lot of stuff in the yeah, fire. it's cooking. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a good yeah. way to put it. Um, so we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, but I used to work in Pike Place Market. So I recognized mm -hmm. your voice as soon as I heard it um, from your busking, which is crazy. Uh, but I also know that you were part of the Buskers Relief Fund. Yes. Uh, you want to talk about that a little bit? Just, yeah. Let's touch on that. Yeah. So I'm relatively new to the busking community um, in that I have, well, I guess this would have been my third full year of busking um, if it weren't for the pandemic. We're technically allowed right now. They opened it back up a couple months ago, but we're back to the mask mandate and that's really hard. But I just like, it was such a community that I stepped into, you know, and they had clearly been nurturing one another and the market had been nurturing that community for a while. But, you know, when the pandemic hit, I knew that Pike Place Market and the Pike Place Foundation had a lot of mouths to feed, a mm -hmm. lot of people to support. And the buskers are often sort of this, you know, we're not unionized. We're not one solid group of people. We're not hired. We're just a group of people that show up day in and day out. So I was like, who is taking care of these people? So I had the idea of seeing who out there in the world would be willing to donate a buck and how much I could get distributed to the folks. So um, yeah, I put together a survey um, that was just designed as an application. And then I had the Pike Place Market Foundation, which is the fundraising arm of Pike Place Market, pump out emails to um, all of the buskers that had permits the previous year mm -hmm. um, and years prior as well. And in the end, the best thing that happened to us was uh, I reached out to the Seattle Times and a reporter picked up on it and published an article, uh, both online and in print. And that more than anything generated a bunch of income for the fundraising effort. And we all together put together 7,300 bucks um, oh, that wow. we put out into people's yeah, pockets. Yeah. So people either got a hundred or 200 bucks, but like mostly spare change, but hopefully it helped them, you know, kept them going during yeah, kind of I mean, the harder part of the pandemic. For sure. That's nothing to sneeze at, you know, money's money, especially yeah. when you, you know, you rely on other people to, to sort of give you that while they're walking by. 
Yeah, um, I, I thought we'd raise maybe 2,000 bucks, like maybe. Yeah, And then for it sure. ended up being so much bigger than that. So you moved out of Bangkok when you were 18. Mm-hmm. And you moved to British Columbia mm-hmm. to go to college. Yeah. That's a long ways. I don't, I, I moved two states away. I grew up in California. Yeah. I say all the time on the show, but I, that's, that's a long ways for me. Yeah. How did you come to that decision? Like you, you take all these yeah. huge leaps. It seems you're very brave <laughs> to do that. <laughs> that's wild <laughs> to me. I'm, I'm a coward. What, what are we? Well, first of all, I don't think you're a coward for <laughs> not making such big decisions. <laughs> I, I think there are, are a lot of things um, that I'm still learning about myself. It, it's funny we're ta- talking about this because uh, it's 10 years this month that oh, I've wow. been in North America now for the majority of my life. I'm 28 this year. You know, I moved mm-hmm. when I was 18. Um, I think I was, I, I tend to be predisposed to making big leaps simply because, well, the previous ones, because it, I, it just felt necessary. You know, I, I grew up in Thailand, which you know, for all its forward thinking, you know, it, it's got a reputation for being more open and accepting than a lot of Asian countries. It, it's still fairly conservative. Um, and there was no way in hell I was going to come out as a lesbian in high school. You know, I was, yeah. I was bullied for two solid years for completely different reasons. I was like, I don't need to throw any more gas on this fire. Mm-hmm. Um, but I came out and I, I was, I received sort of a Western education. So my mom worked, I mentioned at the schools that I attended. And that was so that we could go to private schools for free. And at these private schools, um, I studied American curriculum and European curriculum. So I always grew up speaking English. And that means that a lot of the ideals and the morals that I have uh, tend to be Western oriented. So things like individualism, you know, speak in my mind, (laughs) just, you know, the sort of adventures that I look forward to were very like, you know, I read Hatchet growing up. I read The Other Side of the Mountain. Like I wanted to go out and be in like the Canadian and Alaskan wilderness from the time I was a kid. (laughs) Bangkok is a concrete jungle, you know. Um, So it always sort of felt like I was destined to be in North America. And I got a scholarship and I ended up going to a college in small town Canada. And that's where I met my wife, um, who is born and bred uh, here in Seattle. Yeah. So the journey between Canada and Seattle wasn't very big, but I suppose the decision to stay, it, it, it always just sort of felt inevitable. How, how long have you two been together? Seven years this fall. Wow. Yeah. Married two years. Married for two years. I love a love story. You know, I love it when things work <laughs> out personally she was the uh, lead soprano in this university choir and i was the lead alto in the university <laughs> choir a tale as old as time you know exactly <laughs> <laughs> so and she also works in education right is that Kalia? True? no 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 no, so, no what, what she, she um she went to the university of washington and received a certificate in editing so she's a text editor she developmentally edits she copy edits she does all of that good stuff she was also the editor-in-chief of our school newspaper, um, and she was technically my boss for a little while because <laughs> I worked for the newspaper as well. For sure. Wow. Yeah. yeah, copy editing is a rough gig, you know. I, Rich is our copy editor. He's a great guy. Uh, unfortunately, he does a lot of the heavy, heavy lifting because it's just me and him right. editing, right. and I've got right. like a thousand other things to do, you know. So Totally. Good for her. Um, as an editor, I know I can be a little high-strung. 
I, you know, <laughs> there's a type, you know, but um, yeah, against... coffee schlepping. Oh yeah, I've got. I'm an energy drink queer. I've got, got this, okay, and I also have like six different types of ways to make coffee. Uh, and oh, you're one of those. And just nicotine gum. I quit smoking, and now okay. it's just like packs of nicotine gum. And got you, got you, you know, got you, got you. My partner is eternally. What are those newfangled things that are like these tiny little like? What the hell is it? It's like, I don't even know. It's like a candy and you break off a little bit and it's like loaded with nicotine. What are the kids oh, eating these days? It's, it's, uh, like an icy? No. Is that what it's I called? Don't, they've got jewels, which is like a, like a vape. No, 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 stick. no. This is like literally, it looks like bark, but like a, like, like, <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it. It's like if like, you took the icing on a cake, but hardened it even more and you just like break off a piece and it's like tons of, of nicotine. That, that sounds it's like it was it's from a ya sci-fi novel that doesn't sound it, it, it real it does sound like it and it's that's not. wild <laughs> don't don't tell me about shit like that you know i'm gonna <laughs> just buy it in bulk keep it at my desk oh. at the office jeez yeah so you got married two years ago you've been yes out of education for more than that right three years about no about the same amount about of the time. same amount of time I can, I can talk about that period of time yeah let's talk about that that must have been I mean, the transition from busking to recording, you already said not very difficult. And there was a little bit of overlap between when you're doing education and uh, when you were busking, but that is a, that's a big decision. You know, you're, you're starting a whole new chapter of your life all at once. And I mean, yeah, there were a lot of very quick transitions. You know, I went from having a very solid paycheck, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we, the national conversation about how teachers are getting paid um like that's very valid and obviously all teachers should be paid more but here in Washington state you know I was I was earning a solid buck every single month you know to go through that uncertainty was very difficult on top of that producers aren't cheap um Mm -hmm. and my producer is worth every cent of his work um so I had to figure out how to make ends meet for sure so right now um you know folks don't realize that music is not my it's not what uh brings home the bacon it's starting to become but you know all of the streams that I get on Spotify all the attention I might you know receive from Instagram YouTube etc that that doesn't net me anything um shows are beginning to do that because I've got you know two or three shows every single weekend for the next little while which is thank god but I work three jobs I work as a barista a couple times a week um I'm also a personal chef for family um and I do music you know, whether that's busking, recording, or performing at venues. So it's wearing a lot of different hats and just sort of being dedicated. You know, my producer says, trust the process, keep doing what you're doing. Things will shift in time Mm -hmm. and you will spend more and more time doing what you really want to be doing. Um, So it's sort of this odd self-entrepreneurial, self-driven uh, ignore the imposter syndrome period of my life of yeah. you're you're doing a lot of different things but you also get to do what you love and just make sure you're taking care of yourself yeah it's um, kind of like that um grind mentality but with like a little extra soul thrown in because you're actually doing something you care about right all of all three of the things I actually am super passionate about I like if I weren't doing music I would probably be doing food because I I love cooking and it's something I you know read about in my free time I research you know recipes and things like that um, do you have a and, favorite like do you have a specialty I mean I'm Thai so I feel like I have to say Thai <laughs> <laughs> I, I mostly started cooking because I missed food from home you know Canada at least at the time had a dismal selection so sure. I was like I gotta 
do this for myself. But um, I, I enjoy making handmade noodles, you know, noodles from scratch kind of oh, thing. Wow. So that's really fun. For sure. Um, I know that there are a lot of folks in the world who want to become musicians. You know, the market is pretty saturated. Everyone's trying to get a piece of that Spotify pie, um, trying to get listens and streams and things like that. And it's hard because you have to accept that you must find ways to live this life sustainably mm -hmm. and not just sort of be like, well, I'm pouring my heart and soul into this music, but it's, you know, it's, I'm not getting to do what I really want to do, which is make a buck and just do music. It's like, well, no, you kind of have to keep going steady with other things as well and make sure you've got to, you know, be smart about it. Like, yes, pursue your dream, but be smart about it. For sure. Yeah. Well, we're just about out of time. Thank you for that very insightful answer to that question. I, but, I don't um, want to sound like a cynic, you no, know, it's no. like, I'm I like, please, yes, everyone should pursue their dreams. Please go out and do that, especially now in your late 20s, you know, early 30s when you've got that time. Yeah, just but don't make be sure a dummy. you've got a safety net. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Please eat. <laughs> please eat. Like, it's, I mean, it's hard, you know, it's hard out there. Yeah. Life is crazy and we don't have control over most of the things in totally. the world you know so what you do have control over is yourself and your dream and if you're going to pursue it you might as well put out a plan i know plenty of people who mm -hmm. they wanted to do one thing and they put all of their energy into one thing and now they're a security guard living in their car that's just one right. person i said right. plenty of people but um, sure no, 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 I know they're you like know. they're great like they're good people but it's like sometimes you got to be realistic you know what i mean yeah but what I was going to say is we're just about out of time. Is there anything coming up? Any shows you want to shout out? Mm. But <laughs> is there anything you'd like to tell our listeners or anything you'd like to say before we head out? Yeah, uh, I continually update my website, genierock.com. And if you go to slash calendar, that's got all of my upcoming events that I update regularly. There's wine bars. There's an awesome place called the Dog Yard, which is in Ballard. Mm -hmm. And like 30 plus dogs go and play. People are drinking and they get to listen to me play music. And, and I'm going to be doing that for the rest of the year. So I'm super stoked that that's happening. Yeah. And keep your um, eyes peeled for new music coming out at the, probably the end of this month, certainly in October, and a badass music video in November that I'm really stoked about. Fantastic. Links to uh, Jeannie's Spotify and website will be in the show notes. Uh, thank you again so much for joining us today. Thanks, Ash. Dude, Jeannie is so cool. Jeannie is so cool, right? Like, thank you, Lindsay, for hooking up that interview. Uh, oh, of course. I'm so glad that she, like, actually came on. <laughs> She's great. And you can catch her uh, shows all around town. You can check out her website. It'll be in the show notes. And, yeah, just fantastic. I don't know. She's someone, like, when you talk to her, I feel like you can't stop smiling afterwards, you know? Yeah, I get that. Just a lot of yeah. joy there. Like, a lot of, like, passion uh, for the art, passion for music, and just, it's, like, infectious, you know? It's really cool. Um, so, switching topics. SGN Book Club is a regular thing. We have a, we already talked about the Instagram page for that. And Lindsay's been writing up some great pieces. Uh, and it's the spooky season, as previously discussed. So we're starting off with Carmilla, Vampires and the Monstrosity of Queerness. Lindsay, enlighten me. 
learn me a thing or two about these vampires. Yeah, so, you know, if you've read or seen anything about Dracula, basically they, um, a lesbian did it first and they ripped her off. And not a lot of people know the story of Carmela because Dracula got so popular so fast. Um, but this story was written by um, a man, a presumed straight man, but, you know, who can never know? It was a long time ago. And it was written 26 years before Dracula, actually, but failed to receive the same kind of recognition and cultural significance. So it was recommended to me by um, a fan of the paper. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'll, like give this a read. Um, it's a really short novel to just, you know, you get through it in a day. Um, and it's, it's so interesting, just the way that it really did start the whole vampire novel genre, but also that it pulled in ties to, like lesbian pulp novels that were was like this genre that first kind of brought the idea of like lesbians into like the households of americans and i guess other readers but it was popular in america um and this idea that they won't give them a happy ending because it would send the wrong message to the readership and carmela definitely does that and the main character is the titular carmela right she's sort of an anti-hero yeah well, the actual main character is Laura, who's kind of giving us this, um, this story through her first-person narration, and Carmela is a guest that becomes a close friend of Laura's. And so we kind of get that sense of Carmela as beloved by Laura, but also feared by the reader when they kind of can understand there's more to her than, than the main character sees. Jumping back real quick, my favorite fact about... Um... Dracula, Bram Stoker's Dracula, was that he wrote it because he had this like wild wet dream about three vampire women attacking him in a bed. And that actually did make it into the final cut of the novel where Jonathan Harkness is like attacked slash seduced by these women and Dracula bursts in and is like, no, he's mine, basically. Um, so fun fact there. I never knew that, so thank you. It's a little fruity. <laughs> I, I, you know how kids have, like, phases? I had a vampire phase for, like, most of elementary school. Um, just because... No. Cause... no? <laughs> were, you, were you, like, the Twilight kids? Or was oh, that no. After no, you no, no, this is... School? So, Twilight came out when I was in middle school. Okay. And I tried to read it to impress someone I had a crush on. I read the first book in less than a day. I rode my bike in the rain to give it back to this person uh, across town. I was so, I hated it so much because it was, it was not good writing. It was not like good character development. I didn't quite get it, you know, especially because I was like, but there are all these other way more interesting vampires out there that you could draw on and you created this whole new version of like a, super sexy but like very like prudish uh vampire incest cult it was very weird i didn't like it is that why you uh rode your bike in the rain in the same day to give it back you just like wanted it off your hands (laughs) yeah i didn't even wait for them to answer the door i put it on their porch and then i left and i didn't really talk to them much after that solid choice you weren't there edward no, I got compared a lot to Jasper when the movies came out. I think it's just because I'm blonde, though, and I grew up in a town where that was not super normal. 
Interesting. Was, do you know, was Twilight inspired by Mormonism? I've like read somewhere. Stephanie Meyer, I think, was Mormon. I don't yeah. know if she still is, but um, I do have Mormon cousins, and even they usually are like, eh, I don't really want to touch it. It's a little <laughs> gross. Um, it did inspire Fifty Shades of Grey, though. Fifty Shades was a Twilight fan fiction. Yeah, and I read in a Time magazine interview with Stephanie Meyer that touted her as, like, the new queen. It's like, watch out, J.K. Rowling. This is the new queen of, you know, YA fiction. That that was also inspired by a dream that she had where she was with a sexy vampire man. Huh. But let's discuss Carmilla a little bit more. And you have questions at the end of these articles. Yeah, I do. So I kind of take into this analysis of the novel, the ways in which queerness is inherently linked to monstrosity, um, that, you know, if Carmela is based on a true story, that the hunting of Carmela was likely not because she was a blood-sucking vampire, but because she refused to give into heteronormativity and kind of live that life that is expected of a lot of people. Um, and so that just kind of leads to these last two questions of... You know, if if queerness and monstrosity are inherently linked, who conditioned us to fear monsters in the first place? And who are the monsters that we fear? Um, and I think that that answer is different for different people. But what are your thoughts on that? Well, I actually thought it was really interesting. I was discussing this with my partner as two queer people uh, that we often associate ourselves, uh, especially sort of like bisexuals with like queer coded villains in modern pop culture. You know, like, I remember when Lil Nas came out and was dressing how he dresses, and people were like, why does he look like a Batman villain? And it's like, it's because we're conditioned to think that looking queer, being queer, it's villainous, right? Lady Gaga, I don't know what her whole deal is, but it's along the same lines, right? Like, that was the big, like, controversial icon when I was in high school was this woman who may or may not be trans or intersex, which clearly is not the case, but that was the rumor going around, right? But she dressed very uh, flamboyantly. Do you remember that meat dress, by the way? I do. I think about it all the time, actually. Same. Oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> was it real meat? It was, right? That yeah. Seems... She pissed off PETA by wearing that. She's like, whatever, PETA. It's so easy to piss off PETA. PETA put me in a cage once. What? Yeah, they offered me some chips, and they were like, do you want to be in a cage? And I was like, no. And they were like, what if we give you some chips to prove a point? And I was like, what's the point? And they are like, the point is you'd be in a cage. And I was like, all right. I was in college. You know, I had no money. I was working as a, I was working as a junior reporter uh, in Watsonville at the time, and my beat was like crime and obituaries, and I was making like no money. Because I only got paid for like nine hours out of the 40 hours I worked every week because it was through the school. It's like a whole thing. But um, yeah, so I was like, fine, I'll take some free. What, what kind of chips are they? Sun chips? Fucking love it. All right, let's do this. And so they put me and some other dude in a cage and they like pointed at us and were like, this is what happens to animals. Right, but we're smarter than the. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> The, so I, it was weird. It was Just a weird to play thing. Well, and I was like, okay, cool. PETA also lies in a lot of their propaganda. Like they, it, there was this one image going around that was like, hey, 
this is what happens to the rest of your wool sweater. It was like this bloody lamb. It was a prop. It was a fake lamb. This hipster dude with this big beard. It was like, anyway, it was going around and it's like, no, it's not. When you shear a lamb, it's their fur. It's their excess hair. So it's not going to damage them. If you're cutting up your lamb, you're cutting up your supply. Like, there are other sheep for eating. Like, as someone who grew up in, like, an agricultural town, I learned a lot about, like, how animals are actually treated, and there are a lot of terrible factory farms out there, but, you know, go out in the pasture, you see a cow, it's free-range, it's hanging out, it's just doing a cow thing. If you kill your cows too early, if they're not there for slaughter, you're fucked up, you're fucking shit up, so there's a system. PETA also came after Pokemon after, like, 25 years of Pokemon existing, and I, my, my favorite thing about PETA is if you go to their website, you can actually play through some, like, Flash games or, like, video games that they made that are supposed to illustrate uh, the point that they're trying to get across. So, like, they have a Super Tofu Boy to replace Super Meat Boy, which is, like, an indie game that came out when I was in high school. And basically you go through and you f- get ground up by, like, f- the fast food industry and, like, you fight fast food-based villains. There's also Tanuki Suit Riot, which came after Mario. Um, What's wrong with Mario? Well, he wears a suit made out of a raccoon, or it's called, it's a Tanuki. It's, like, a cat-type animal. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you wear the Tanuki suit and you fly, right? So you, in this game, are the Tanuki. Is that what Tom Nook is? Probably. No, I thought he was a raccoon, too. Well, his name is Tom Nook, Tanuki. Tom, Tom Nook, Tom Nook. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really play Animal Crossing. Yeah. Um, Peter's gonna come after you now. Yeah, and then and like the Pokemon game was like, you break free and you murder your masters. I have a lot of problems with how Peter goes about their message and also, just Peter in general. Uh, veganism, in my mind, is something that's worn as like a mask of ethics like clearly not every vegan is thinking that way but there are a lot of vegans that do it because they're like oh well I'm better than the average meat eater because I do this ethical thing when in reality like the quinoa industry is destroying the rainforest so who are you really helping (laughs) but sorry to the question at hand the vilification of queer people yes Sorry, totally got off topic there, but the like, I feel like, and you may have experienced this as well, there are a lot of villains or, like, dark characters that are queer-coded, you know, you've oh, got... Oh, like every you, Disney villain, you know? Like every Disney villain. Scar, uh, Hades, very queer. Yeah, Megara, who is probably bi. She's, oh, like, definitely. an anti-hero, you know, but... Oh, yeah, I've, I've gotten into those conversations with my family over Christmas last year. Was, the debate was, um, is Scar gay and are Timon and Pumbaa a gay couple raising an adopted son? You know, you get into those things. But, yeah, kind of going back to that vilification of queerness, it's kind of that, you know, what relates, I think, a queer person to the threat of the vampire is also this kind of threat of the unknown. You know, you have this person that 
is different and the you know general society doesn't maybe understand why they are the way they are and rumors spread and I mean I don't know if either of you had this experience but definitely like growing up in a conservative town there was always that fear that you know if you see gay people on TV, it'll turn you gay, you know, the proximity to tolerance. And I think that even goes to the Texas ban that we were talking about earlier, this fear of the other, that exposure to them will then otherize us as well. Just like a vampire. Yeah, exactly. That by getting close to the vampire, Laura was hurting herself or, you know, causing herself to possibly turn into a vampire as well. When in reality, like, Maybe we're just vampires. Maybe some people are just born vampires. Who knows? There's a whole book about that, too. Um, it's a series, and I think it's like Ninth Grade Sucks is the first book. Cirque de Freak is another one. Hey, Lindsay. Yeah? Uh, if I wanted to get a copy of Camilla, where could I find it? Yeah, I grabbed mine from Elliott Bay Book Company. Um, it's just kind of in the middle of Capitol Hill, but I think you can find it at just about any of the local bookstores around the area. Um, at least the ones that have uh, new copies. And I recommend the edition edited by Carmen Maria Mercado because she gives a really good forward, um, giving some history behind the context of the author and some of the real historical counterparts to some of the characters of the novel. Great. Thank you so much. I'll definitely have to check it out. Next yeah. time I'm in Capitol Hill. Perfect. Thank you so much. Let me know what you think of it. Okay. Well, on that note, I think it's time to wrap up. Uh, thank you for indulging me on my anti PETA rant earlier. And uh, thank you so much for your insight and uh, discussion. Just in general, you guys are great. It's always a pleasure uh, co hosting with y'all. Anything you'd like to say before we head out? As always, thank you so much for listening. Um, if you have any feedback, feel free to hit us up on social media. Yeah, the social media links will be in our uh, show notes, as always. Uh, Lindsay, anything you'd like to say? Uh, yeah, just kind of hopping on top of what Hannah said. Thank you for listening. You guys give us a job. Um, keep, <laughs> keep reading. <laughs> yeah, um, Please check out our newspaper. It's free. It's all over the place. Both Hannah and Lindsay have been doing the distribution route this past week, and they work their asses off to get this paper to you for free. It's a free paper. We have a lot of great stuff in it every week, and we don't even touch every story. There's a great poetry uh, column that's in this week by Sharon Cumberland, Professor at UW. And there, uh, I have an op-ed every week called Search for the Soul of Seattle. It's not always that op-ed. It's not always that column. But um, if you want to get sad with me, go read that. So thank you guys so much again for listening. And we'll see you in the funny pages. Radio SGN is recorded by A.V. Eichenbaum, Hannah Saunders, and Lindsay Anderson produced by A.V. Eichenbaum. Music for this show was by Jesse Spillane and T.R.G. Banks, or was provided for free by Anchor. Thank you so much for listening. Tune in next time.